I'm trying to excavate, if I can use that word, something about what is really happening in America, according to me, and from my very limited point of view, my limited vision, which is hardly ever expressed. And it's really a book about the nature of the American loneliness and, the, and how dangerous that is, how hard it is here for people to establish any real communion with each other, and the chances they have to take in order to do it. This point you make, the, the loneliness and the danger of loneliness and the difficulty of communication in America here, you think there's less of that in the countries you visited? I think so, yes. It's, um, but I don't mean, it's always very difficult when you talk about America. You know, people always say, well, is there any better anywhere else? Which is irrelevant. But yes, I do think so. I think that um, even in France, which is certainly, you know, a very troubling and troubled and corrupt um, many ways corrupt country. There is um, a certain level of personal, um, how can I put it, an assumption on the part of the person of a certain largeness and a certain freedom, which is very hard to come by here. In Africa, which I just left. I'm um, Stacia Brown, and this is Hope Chest. I do not have many romantic stories to tell you. Even the yarn about how your father and I managed to spend four days traipsing the cobblestone to Rondi's malls of Paris is an unsentimental one. I do not suppose that you'll swoon, but because we did not remain a couple after you were born, because you will likely grow up knowing our relationship simply as an amicable one, this is, perhaps, a tale worth telling you. For a certain kind of black-born American, several generations U.S.-born, but without many relatives who have left this country of their own volition, rather than because of an obligatory military deployment, international travel can be a vague, lofty, often elusive ideal. We want to go. These days, far more of us do. But leisure travel abroad can require an intentionality, a precision of thought and planning, that can prove somewhat prohibitive. For the barely middle class among us, it is a desire close enough to fathom attaining. If corners are cut, or we have sudden financial windfalls, or we fashion ourselves into spendthrifts, seeing the world becomes quite possible. This does not, however, mean the attainment will be easy. I have only left the country once. It took me 28 years and even after such an interminable wait, I could only afford four days and nights abroad. I chose Paris, but given the circumstances, I could have just as easily chosen Milan or Accra or Dubai. I chose it because of a sudden flight deal that, as serendipity would have it, coincided with the delivery of my tax refund, which, combined with my postgraduate crashing on my aunt and uncle's couches and adjunct savings, to create a bit of a travel budget. I also chose it because I had recently read about a series of walking tours that traced the black American experience in the early to mid 20th century through the streets of present day Paris. For reasons both obvious and ineffable, this seemed a trek worth taking. 
Sometimes I feel pinned to the contiguous United States by forces far beyond my control, forces that far predate me. I have never felt alone in this. It is the kind of tethering one feels when she knows for certain that at some point in her not-so-distant lineage, members of her family were chained to this land and forbidden from leaving it, first by centuries of enslavement and then by generations of bureaucratic policies extensive and dense and obtuse enough to feel all but unnavigable for a people who have had to fight through reams of red tape and a bottomless pit of administrative fees just to be able to vote or uphold even a pretense of property ownership. In truth, if you have the means and an unbesmirched public record, the passport process is relatively easy. Because I left the country in haste, the way one does when she isn't sure how long she'll still be able to afford to, I paid the expedited fee and was able to feel the gold-embossed navy blue vinyl beneath my fingertips in just three weeks. Intermission. We have taken a black tour today. We've seen a lot of interesting things. And we're debating, is it food time? Or shall we just hang out and get something to drink? All these questions will be answered shortly. I did not initially plan to include your father. I thought instead that I might go with my aunt and failing that, I might just go alone. I may have planned the journey hastily, but it could not have been more important to me. It was a milestone so many of us black US-born descendants of slaves do not reach. It was an opportunity I may never see again. I knew, just one year removed from graduate school, that I had chosen a discipline and career that would never render me financially solvent, let alone flush enough for frequent globetrotting. And in fact, 10 years later, this remains true. Your father, then a fellow non-corporate artist, meaning intermittently broke, like me, had always longed for Paris. It was not a whim for him, and I will have to let him tell you why. I don't remember. What I recall is that it seemed to pain him to hear about the trip without being included in it. So, we went together and it nearly broke us up. With just four days to spend, I wanted to rush through everything, museums and tours and cafes and monuments, wanted to lay eyes on as much as my mind could store. He was, as he often is, unhurried. He wanted to meander, to spend literal hours looking for small cut European clothing and shoes that would fit his six foot five frame. He wanted to talk to people many of whom pretended not to speak English, even though between the two of us, we only knew 10 phrases of French. By the third day, our second to last full day, as I waited for him to exit several stores in a mall that looked exactly like one we could find in his city of residence, Los Angeles, or mine, Grand Rapids, Michigan, I began to wish I had come alone, began to wish I were wandering the Louvre, where we never did find time to go, or returning to that cafe in the 14th with the incredible pan de chocolat and bitter but perfectly foamed cappuccino. Let's get something to drink. You can think about it like an Iceland. I was, 
as I have often unfairly been with him, resentful. We had finally escaped the confines of our own country, but I still felt confined by him. This is perhaps the moral of the story. You do not arrive at freedom. It is not a travel destination. You do not find it in the companionship of fellow meanderers. Freedom, if you are ever able to feel it, must be worked out within. Freedom, when you believe you have found it, must be taken with you. My devotion to the country is an uneasy one, and perhaps as dotted with scorn as any ill-fated love affair. Even as long as we've been together, America and I, I remain unconvinced that what matters to me matters to it, or that my needs, regardless of how clearly or loudly I voice them, will ever be met. I am never sure how much I owe for citizenship. My citizenship and the supposed range of benefits attendant to it have never felt full. To wit, I told you that the process of obtaining a passport was an easy one. But when the time came for a Parisian official to stamp it, I felt just as nervous as I do at the entrances of stores in every American mall. I know full well I haven't stolen anything, but I still worry that the theft alarm will sound as I cross the threshold. That is to say, the first and only time that I traveled abroad, I did not entirely trust my American passport to protect me. I did not trust your father's to protect him either. We are black. We traveled from entirely different origin airports, he from LAX and I from Gerald R. Ford. We are black. His connection was in Germany while my flight was direct to Paris. We are black. At Charles de Gaulle, it took us hours to find each other. We did not know that we had landed in separate buildings. We did not know we would have had to make special arrangements with our cell phone carriers for our phones to have functioned overseas. We did not speak the language. And in those intervening hours, I did wonder if he had been detained. I wondered what I would do if he had been. Keep going? Wander out into the unfamiliar city without him? Turn back? Try to pin down his whereabouts, wait for his safe release from wherever he was being held, for whatever reason? It's been nearly 10 years since that trip. It was as uncomplicated an excursion as it possibly could have been for both of us, but it could just as easily have been a nightmare. Our skin makes all the world potentially transgressive terrain. We carry that awareness with us as surely as we do our shoulder bags. Speaking from his hospital bed with the French president at his side, 22-year-old Theo said he hoped justice would be done. Let's stop this war. Let's be united. I have faith in justice. Justice will be done. Theo was allegedly raped with a baton by police officers in the Paris suburb of Aulnay-sous-Bois. We did not know it then, not with our walking tour stories about black American expatriates who remained fond enough of Paris to live out their remaining days and be buried there. Not with every gift shop's J'adore, Barack, and Michelle souvenirs. 
but France is neither safer nor more welcoming of black and brown women and men than America is. White men there proposition and assault black women walking alone in metro terminals and on sidewalks. And as in America, police in Paris disproportionately brutalize black men. I remember at the end of our four-day excursion, feeling ready to abandon my own country and to live in the cliched France I'd fashioned in such a short time, one of baguettes and fromage, a river of wine. I was sure that I would miss America no more than it would miss me. There is an expression for this, no love lost, and there may truly have been none. But I cannot imagine that French discrimination would have felt any finer for its foreignness. I do not believe that, over time, that country's reception of me would have been very different than my own country's. There are worse things to lose than love. Your father flew back to L.A. and I returned to Michigan. For days afterwards, I felt the phantom taste of clementines and left blonde of tart cheeses and cheap red wine and the new ports he ducked into a half dozen corner shops to find and for which he'd had to pay an astounding eight francs. I felt closer to him and infinitely farther. I felt a roof raised and lifted adjusting my world view. I also felt relief. It was nice to be alone. And I would never again be a woman who knew nothing of the land that lay beyond the borders of home. Neither would I travel so far from home again, unless I could be sure that I would feel free upon arrival. These days, it is much harder to reassure myself of that possibility. Our home has chosen a new patriarch, and he is not the liberating type. In fewer than 50 days in office, he has tried to render visas as meaningless as freedom papers were in the woods and wilds of 19th century slave states. He has alienated several of our international allies, stoked hostilities between nations that had barely been concealing their contempt for this one, and shown little respect for the processes that have, for generations, enabled us to cross into new countries and welcome those desirous of entry into ours to make their way in undeterred. Paris may well be my only parable. I do not believe it will be yours. I am willing you a far more wayfaring life. I am instilling in you the belief that, in the end, you are your own nation. Your freedom will not be outwardly governed. Your blackness will not render you the same reticence as mine. When I am gone and I bequeath to you this home, I hope it will no longer be broken. I hope you will not be treated as a squatter, but that you will instead feel the full weight of its keys. And that, for as long as you are able, you will open its doors to whomever will come. One, a baby's not born with any idea of a society, no sense whatever of other people. Its mother exists principally, in fact, entirely for him or her. 
and its father exists somewhat later, entirely for him or her. It's only much, much later that the baby begins to realize that the parent on whom he depended for everything and whom he supposed held up the world is in fact just another human being who was not invented for him. That is, on the most primary level, one of the meanings of an education.